Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. Being a love extremist means committing to and choosing love as joyful activism. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz, self-proclaimed love extremist. Love can exist everywhere, and yet, when talking about it, we all seem to define it differently. There are many environments and individuals to whom love seems lost, or was never there to begin with. I want to engage myself, my guests, and you to confront love, get to know it as it appears in many forms, and learn from others who have love stories to share. I'll focus on three frames of love. Self-love, love in partnership, and love in community. My intention is to uncover and share stories that shed light on love in new and often forgotten ways. Very happy to be here today with my old friend Cooper Bates. He is a playwright and performer. He's written and directed 15 short films, a dozen plays he's directed. He's written nine screenplays. He's also co-founder of Hintmint, which is kind of how I met him. Uh, the original designer Breathmint, which was sold in over 54 countries worldwide. Bates' new play, Black, When I Was a Boy, is a turn back to his passion. I like that play on words there. And I know Bates through his co-founder at Hintmint, Harley, um, and also as his role as a community leader. He's housed a number of young artists rising through the Los Angeles landscape of creativity, and that was a really interesting opportunity for me to get to know him. So welcome, Cooper. What's up, dude? Well, Ethan, that was very impressive. I, uh, you didn't use any notes, and uh, <laughs> I, I just love that. Uh, things are good. Thank you for asking. They're really good. Um, uh, I, I like that you're a self-proclaimed uh, love extremist, and just think if we had seven billion people say that at once, Oof. that would be something. Yeah, we'd be blasting with love. That'd yeah. be pretty intense. So I like that. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I'm really here today to investigate with you what love means and how you define it. So you know, you you have a couple <laughs> more years on me. Um, and I've seen some just things. Two, just two. Yeah, just a few. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and you you know you've tra- you traveled around a bit and yeah, you lived yeah. some lives. Yeah, yeah. So you know I'm really excited to have you on the show to share your wisdom. So let's dig in. Like, okay. h- how do you define love? What is love to you? You know, I'm excited about this because you, as we move through life, we we spend a lot of time feeling love mm-hmm. and looking for love, but we don't really spend all that much time defining what love is to ourselves and to each other. And what I have learned in the last 20 years, and it's, it's a little bit of a cheat. I'll, I'll just say that out of the, out of the gate because I have two daughters nice. and my oldest daughter is 20 years old. <laughs> and I know what love is by being a parent. And it's not an exclusive an exclusive club because people who have pets also experience the same thing. But mm-hmm. love is so it, it it imagine walking into a dessert store. So okay. you have all these different types of desserts that you could choose from. You have uh, pies and cakes and candies and so forth and so on. And I think that love is like that also because we have romantic love, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and we're chasing sort of amorous uh, activity through this romantic love. And that's its own thing. And then we have uh, 
we love ice cream and we love, you know, all <laughs> these other things that we go around saying, I love, you know, macadamia nut ice cream or whatever. But to me, the most satisfying love that I've really felt to date is love for my kids. And mostly because it it's allowed me to get out of wanting something. Like I don't pursue somebody else's body or I'm not pursuing, you know, them to tell me that they love me back when I say that I love them. You know, it's, and I know that this is different because when my kid, my daughter wants to take an art class, it might be a $400 a month art class. I have no problem funding that. Right. Uh, If my friend says who I love, love my friends, (laughs) <laughs> but if somebody comes to me and says, hey, man, can I borrow 400 bucks? Or would you put me through school for 400 bucks? Because right. I want to start my life over again. I'd have a hard time with that, huh. even though I love them, right. you know, very much. Um, and so that. Oh, and there was one other thing, like it, it, the, the my desire to support people. Mm. I think equates with love also. And so it's all obviously it's my daughter, but it's it is. Um, those friends that I really believe in, that I that I sh- I tell them that I, I love them and so forth and so on. So when they say to me, uh, it, or, or if somebody said to me, listen, Cooper, would you support me to go back to a nursing school or whatever? And I need a place to stay for, you know, two years without any rent. And I need, you know, possibly a ride because I don't have a car. That's a tall order to fill, right? Mm-hmm. But if I love them, it means that I'm willing to sacrifice that and do that for them. And um, and what am I going to get out of that, right? Right. I'm not. I, I just. It, it's just interesting to be faced with that kind of love challenge, right? And it, so, yeah, it just—it's really interesting. Love is love is interesting. It's the most fascinating thing in the world, but I, 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 it's also the most sort of elusive. Yeah. Because we're, I feel okay. The most succinctly I can put it is like when we say that we love something, it's like we're really saying that because we want something to come back to us through that. So you think it's tied to not maybe expectation or reciprocation. Reciprocation. And but in the context of being a father, you're saying that's not part of the equation. Yeah. But in every other flavor, there's some sort of wanting. Yeah. Okay. So I I usually associate the candy store, I like that metaphor, Mm -hmm. in three frames, right? Mm -hmm. There's three types of candy available at the store that I've been programming for this show and conversation. And it's funny because the one of parenting hasn't come up probably because I'm not a parent. Right. Um, but really I see self love. Mm-hmm. Right, that of the that of oneself, love of in partnership, which I I could see being also tied to family, but also there's love in the collective, and the collective could also be a family. Yeah. Right, it could be a greater community. Mm-hmm. It could be you know your basketball team. It Absolutely. could be your your entire city. Right, there's a lot of frames and a lot of uh, magnifiers or, or you know focuses where you could go with that. But I think what's really interesting is a lot of people talk about partnership love as being something that requires recommitments. And when you have children, mm-hmm. maintaining the priority of the partnership actually 
often above the priority of the kids. Yeah. So as to maintain a healthy partnership and also to um, demonstrate what that looks like for your children. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I'm curious because, yes, there's the unconditionality of being a father. And there's also the partnership side where you want, ideally, to demonstrate a relationship that shows that you really, you know, you have something strong enough to create kids, right? You know, and, and nurture them and support mm -hmm. them. So curious about that. It's hard to stay on point a lot of times when you're trying to demonstrate for your kids. Like it's not, it's not an, an innate sort of natural thing, like, cause we're human beings. So, and our, 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 our being is always pursuing something. So you get up early in the morning, you get the breakfast going and your wife or your partner uh, hasn't, you know, she didn't mail the check that you wanted her to mail yesterday. And so you find that out and you're kind of angry with her and your kids are sitting there and you're yelling at each other and you're both just short, you know, because you've got to get to out the door to make the bacon and so forth and so on. And who's driving the kids? I thought you were driving them today. I can't believe you put this on me at the last second. So you're not, you're certainly not modeling good behavior and good love at that point. Right. right? But, but you're not. So it's, it's hard to stay conscious of that stuff. Um, but when things slow down and you, I, I guess the, the, the first time that I realized that I had an influence or a power uh, to be an educator of that type with my kids is when they would come home from school and they have issues with somebody uh, that they're interacting with at school. Right. And so then you, you're like, wow, so-and-so is being selfish. Um, like you didn't have any food today or you forgot your lunch or whatever. I saw that in the car. I told you to take it. And, and then, yeah, and I was really hungry and, and she wouldn't give me, you know, part of her sandwich and even though I asked her in a really nice way mm -hmm. so now I have a chance to model right? right so I tell her well you know that's okay and I know that maybe she's coming from a place of scarcity uh and that's not her fault I mean because who knows what her situation is so you just be understanding say thank you anyway and the next time you have some you know um something that she wants just give it to her mm -hmm. and so now I've instructed her but now I have to model that behavior. Right. So every time you you or I tell my kids something, as that like I'm coming from a, a place of authority on a subject, hmm. that's when I get to model it. But just modeling things abstractly, like day to day to day, I, I'm too I'm in too many places, and there's too many factors going on, and I. I fail a lot yeah. of times in, in that way. Um, there's this one interesting, um, and we don't really know what we're doing with kids anyway, because it's so subjective. Right. Every choice that we make with our kids, aside from stay away from sugar when they're two weeks old yeah. and, uh, and get plenty of sleep, everything's a crapshoot. Everything is. Mm -hmm. um, is it nurture or nature? You, so you, but I, I, I'm, I was interviewing this kid because I'm trying to write this uh, parenting book now, right? Not nice. as Cooper Bates is the authority on, <laughs> on what it is to be a great parent, but I'd love, I'd love 
exploring the idea of how other parents are raising their kids to model that for people that are coming into that world. Yeah. And I was entering, interviewing this, uh, this mother who's a professor up in Seattle and her 21 year old daughter. So I sat them. I, first I asked her all these questions and then I, uh, wrote it all down and I called her daughter and I said, Hey, can I fly up? And I, and interview you about how your parents raised you and what you thought and th what you thought worked and what didn't work. Right. And she said, yeah. So I flew up there and she's sitting with her mother and say, so let's just kick it off. And, uh, she said, um, okay, well I love my parents and I think they did a really good job with me. And I said, well, what's one thing that you would change or like your mother thinks that treating you as an adult, even from a young age worked really well for you. Uh, because it made you really independent and, sh and made you um, use your, your mind a lot in conversation. She said, yeah, that's true. And I do love that. But also because she relied on that so much, she never gave me a chance to be a kid, mm -hmm. you know, so because she respected me as a human being too much. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, I don't know. So the whole modeling thing, you have to be careful with that. Um, it's, I think that I'm rambling a lot, but I, I do. I think that the best and most prevalent time for you to model for your kid is when they have a need. Right. And they bring it to you and you address that. And then you say, okay, now this is, I've just told you how to do it. Now I want you to do as I do moving forward on that particular subject. Right. Well, yeah, and, and really, actions speak louder than words. Mm -hmm. So the way that you yes. act is, is a demonstration. So I think a lot about this, and I also think about practice. Mm -hmm. To me, I feel most fluent in the practice of self-love and collective love because mm -hmm. I've had the chance in my life, in my 34 years, to experience that in abundance. Mm -hmm. However, in partnership love, I've had some beautiful partnerships. I'm exploring one right now. And nice. I haven't necessarily had as much practice as I have in community and in myself, right? Right. And so when it comes to kids, I'm going to have even less practice right. than that, right? Right. And, you know, I've never had kids before. And, you know, perhaps having a pet would help mm -hmm. <laughs> and be a starter right. opportunity. Um, and there's also just, you know, I think about it in terms of this kind of wisdom from experience. And so often, like you're saying, things like parenting, we show up and we're just, you know, what the experience we have is that of being a child in our family, right? And however that worked out or didn't, and that can sometimes inform us. Maybe we're reading some books. Maybe we're, you know, checking out Cooper mm -hmm. Bates' new book. There you go. Right? Um, and it, it's really interesting to think about what are the influences here? You know, what what's actually going to move the needle in terms of teaching me how to love well? And I've really been informed by writers like Bell Hooks. And right now I'm, I'm reading Eric Fromm and The Art mm -hmm. of Loving. And I really think there's, there's so much to learn from these scholars around how they define it. And a lot of them see it very much as a conscious choice and an action and a, you know, a verb as much as it is maybe a passive feeling. It's also like there's, there's activism, there's, there's, there's choosing, and there's, there's, there's practices. So I'm curious if you have practices that you exercise on a regular basis or, or stories where, you know, you do things that boost your ability to be more of a loving energy in the world. Well, I think that I'm not sure if I cultivated this or 
if it's a again an innate part of my nature but i am so deeply and genuinely interested in people and their experiences and what makes them tick mm. on a level that i honestly uh baffles me sometimes <laughs> so when i get a chance to engage with somebody yes. uh no matter who it is like some of my best conversations are with uh people who have been kind of cashed out by society right, right? so yeah. i'll be walking along with somebody asking for a dollar for example and if i am in the right headspace and i'm not on my way to pursuing something that i think i need you know or need to be somewhere then i'll stop and before i give them the dollar like like who are you like really no i'm serious come on now who are you right. just tell me like i know that that's your 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 spiel and you can give that to me but once we get past that just talk to me so and i just start so i start sharing stories about you know i know so and so and so so who did so and so and they were on the street and da 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 and you know and i was on the street for a little bit i was in, i was homeless in paris for 6 months actually no way uh, yeah when i was 23 or so so wow. um and so that gets a good conversation going and the next thing you know a couple of hours have gone by and then at the end they're like wow man you're the first person to really see me in so long and i really feel beautiful right now so thank you so much for that and um, well, yeah, no worries. Or even in a in a store, like I'll go into Best Buy or or Ralph's or whatever, right? And I never just randomly say, "Hey, where's the the toilet paper or whatever it is I'm looking for?" I'm always I like, excuse me. I look at their name tag, call right. them by name, ask them how they are. Yeah. So you know, and and who they are, and then at you know minute into it, can you just tell me? where the toilet paper is. And then <laughs> yeah. they'll, they're, they're always, I swear every single time it's like they double take like, wow, you just, most people just say, Hey, where is the da da da? Right. As soon as I tell them they're gone. So thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. So I feel like forcing engagement, not even forcing it, but just sort of, that's not the right word, but just sort of being, relevant in the way that I interact with people is, uh, is my gift of love to people. And that's how I try to bring energy. And I guess that, you know, it, energy is, um, it's what you put out there is it's like you're sowing your own, um, field and then you're walking around in it and that energy just sort of stays on you. So typically when I run into people, they, they more times than not, they'll say, wow, I really like your energy. Yeah. And I love that. I love that. I just love, I love being in love with things too, you know, because right. it just makes, it just makes things so much more bearable and interesting. Well, really. and so really your attention is yeah. a gift. Yeah. And you're giving that gift of attention and inqu inquisition yeah. and curiosity. Yeah. And in that someone feels seen, they feel heard. Yeah. That is a gift. That's, that's, a be valuable. that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's really interesting. I read this book called the educational little tree and, okay. uh, this is, and they were talking, this kid was living, he's living on, um, before their, his tribe has moved to a reservation, you know, they're okay. actually, uh, he's, he's six years old, he's staying with his grandfather, I think I'm remembering it correctly. And they talked about how when Indians give gifts to people, they, they do it anonymously so that uh -huh. the person who fills, who gets the gift 
uh, it feels like they've come, the gifts have come from the spirits, mm. right? And they deserve it. And there's no, there's no, um, <laughs> there's no granter that, that person's right. removed. And I love that idea so much that I went out immediately and I bought two things for two people. I bought a t-shirt for somebody that really was, had mentioned they'd like that t-shirt and I bought a water bottle holder for somebody else. I left the t-shirt on the bed in this person's room and I left the water bottle holder in the car <laughs> and I was so excited and I went home and you know, the, the rest of the day went away and the next day and a couple of days later and I started getting depressed. Like, and I was like, man, what's, what's going on with, with you, Cooper? And I realized that I hadn't heard from the two people that I'd given gifts to. Wow. Because I love people to say, oh, my God, Cooper, you're so amazing. Thank you so much. And right, um, right. so I called them up. I couldn't take it. And I said, hey, Renee, did you get that T-shirt I gave you? Oh, you gave me that? Oh, my God, I couldn't. I, thank you so much. And I felt so good. I called Steve. Steve, did you get that water bottle holder I gave you? He goes, dude, that was from you. I had no idea. And <laughs> all of a sudden, this sort of washing of appreciation for me right. uh, filled my soul. And I felt really good again. And I felt like I was in balance again. And I realized that at that point that I had to... Uh, that I had to readdress the way that I moved in the world also. Because if I'm always, like we started at the top of the show, if I'm always looking for reciprocation, right. then that's not, that's not where I want to be. Because then I'm, if I don't get that, then my, I, I fall off my center. Yeah. And so that's why I just started becoming, uh, one, one of the reasons I started just becoming interested in people and just being with people and giving people things just be for the sake of doing that and not worrying so much about turning the the focus back on me. Right. I have to take me out of the equation. Yeah. I, so it's interesting because the way I kind of came to know you was through you having a home full of young artists mm -hmm. who weren't related to you by blood. No. Yeah. And you had open space for them to live. I yeah. I don't know the conditions of that yeah. agreement, right. um, but some of them, you know, I, you know, de definitely weren't necessarily working full time jobs, yeah. and you know, were, were were really exploring their art, yeah, and going through school or other things. And so I'm curious just to hear, you know, maybe a little bit about some of the stories of that experience. And I don't know if that's still something that's mm -hmm. active in your life or, or if you've kind of moved into a new phase, but no. that was really fascinating to meet a, meet a man who has abundance of space, at least more mm -hmm. than he needed right. and the ability to house young people who are not close. And maybe they were in your, your daughter's generation. Some it's the, yeah, back it was, and forth. It's, yeah. it's all over the map, honestly. Okay. Um, we do have an abundance of space. We have like eight bedrooms in our house and, wow. and, uh, there's four in our family, right? Myself, wife, and two daughters. And, uh, and I'm an artist. And I know uh, well, Harley's father actually uh, took me in and supported me when I didn't have... Harley, your co-founder yeah, at Hintman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, didn't have anything. Um, so then when I moved to Los Angeles, uh, I struggled. When was that? Uh, 1990. Okay. Um the only reason I was able to make that happen is because somebody took me in and said, hey, you can stay for a few months on my couch for wow. free. Nice. And that allowed me. So then when I, you know, get married and get this house, 
uh, we have all this space. And I just started thinking about all the gifts that had been given to me. And I thought, why don't we just give back in that way? Wow. So the rent in our house is cheap. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people stay for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, up the longest we've ever, we've done that a couple of times for six months. Um, but they're all, they're almost all artists. We don't interview people. Right. Like people come to us and like, oh my gosh, I don't, I can't even tell you. Somebody, I guess people are introduced to us somehow or another, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I don't say, so you're not, you don't happen to be an artist or something because we only take in artists because we know that they struggle the most and they're trying <laughs> to get their art on the, right. you know, on the up and up. And so that, but, but it just, it, it just works out. And I think that it's beautiful and people, and, and then again, it's because we're, we put that kind of love out to people and then people obviously feel loved. So yeah. that, that house is just filled with that type of energy in it. And we never had a bad experience and we've been doing that for 20 years. That's incredible. Yeah. And I just want to say that's a testament to you. It's, it, it, it's the chain, right? I see love being this karmatic chain. And while it may not be cyclical and that it comes mm-hmm. back to you, you received it from one person yeah. and you gave it to someone yeah. else. You passed it on. Yeah. And so while you might be doing loving acts for numerous people, those people are taking the love that you've given yeah. and they're going to pass it to someone else. Hopefully. Inten- I mean, intentionally, yeah. I yeah. would say. You yeah. know, That's very yeah. much built in to what yeah. you've done. Yeah. And you've led by example, right? Yeah. Your actions have shown that. There you, yeah, it's true. So, so uh, yeah, thank you for that. That's true, that's true. <laughs> so what's your favorite love story? I thought about that a lot, actually. I met this guy um, at a party when I was a senior in high school. Okay. Where was that? In Hill City, Kansas. Cool. Um, actually, Hill City, Kansas. I grew up in this small town in Kansas. It's uh, all white. Okay. And um, there were 2,000 people. And for the radio, you are not white. I am not white. I am an African-American male. And... Uh, <laughs> And we, when, when we were seniors, we would travel around uh, on weekends to party at different, you know, uh, towns that were in our league, cool. for example. And so one of our favorite places was a place called Norton, Kansas, also all white. And, but they had a really cool honky-tonk bar there. Nice. And uh, so we'd go to this bar and, and uh, we met some people and then we would go to this, somebody's house and... Uh, and there's a lot of racism in these small communities. And I met this guy at this uh, party and he was in my face immediately. You know, he wasn't aggressive, but he was just throwing, hurling insults at me, you know, like, huh. um, <laughs> you know, hey, uh, do you know what the difference is between a naked white woman and a naked black woman? Like, uh, and people were like, oh, and, uh, well, the white woman's on the cover of Playboy, but the black woman's on the cover of Natural uh, National Geographic. Oh, man. You know, so people laugh. And, ha, 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 ha. and then little by little, our circle gets a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller. And then we end up sort of face-to-face. And mm-hmm. um, he just starts calling me out, like, aggressively now. Like, mm-hmm. man, what's your problem? What is it with black people? And I don't like black people. And I wish you guys would all go back to Africa and blah, blah, blah. And I'm trying to stay cool because I was I was always 
the outsider, but I knew that my power, my superpower was just being able to relate to people. So mm-hmm. again, I'm like, yeah, it's cool. You know, that's how you feel and blah, blah, blah. And, and I would try to, you know, do you like, he liked uh, Earl Campbell back in the day, who was a, a fullback for the Houston Oilers. Okay. So I challenged him on it. Like, dude, how can you like Earl Campbell? You're chewing skull tobacco because Earl Cham- uh, Campbell, according to the commercial, chews Skull Tobacco, and and you like uh, wow, the love songs, you know, or Lionel Richie, because you're. I just heard right. you talking about, you know, doing a little bump and grind to some Lionel Richie tune. So you're, so it's like you're appropriating, appropriating all this, uh, this inspiration and all these muses, but you're not giving credit to, like, and he was kind of hearing that, you know, and and then he, uh, I, I can't remember the moment, but there was for for some reason we we clicked. Finally, and we'd, we'd broken through. I, I'd become a human being to him. Wow. And so now we're hanging out. We're just hanging out. He's introducing me to all of his boys. Hey, guys, this is uh, uh, Cooper Bates. He's the blackest or the whitest black guy you're ever going to meet, you know. <laughs> and, and they'd all like immediately, because I was with him, now I'm in with them too. And so we're going around the party. And then he takes me to his house, you know, later that night. And wow. shows me his hunting, hunting trophy heads and uh and his gun collection and all this stuff. And we end up going back to the party invite and everybody was gone. We get, uh, he says, I'll take you home. Don't worry about it. Which is about 30 miles away. You know, he'll see it's 30 miles away from Norton. So we get some gas. We go to the Seven Eleven, and um, I get called out by some rednecks. And so this is, it ends up being this big brawl in the parking lot. And, and, uh, and I was the, the focus of that, 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 that brawl. And he fought for me. Wow. Like he went to battle for me and that was amazing. So, but I'm not sure if it was because he was associated with me. So he just had to defend himself or he engaged on my behalf. Mm-hmm. So on the way home, uh, I just told him how embarrassed I was and, and that I, I, and I apologized and he got mad at me for that. It's like, you don't have to apologize, man. That's not your fault. I mean, that's totally, that's bullshit. Right. Right. A few weeks later, I see him out in the world, and he says, because um, now we know each other. Right. And, uh, we're both wrestlers in high school, you know, and, and uh, he has this, his eye, is, it's a, his eye socket's all swollen up, and his oh, eye's man. all bloody, and his cheek has got stitches. And I said, man, what happened to your eye? And he said, oh, man, I, uh, my, my, my old man took a fire poker and blindsided me. And I was like, really, why? He goes, because, man, he used the word nigger around me. And I told him not to do that, man. I'm not, that's just not cool with me anymore. Wow. And uh, it's like, you did that? Like, why did you do that? And he told me because he, he, after meeting me, he realized that he didn't want to be that guy anymore, you know, that type of guy. And then that experience at that 7-Eleven where we all, and because of how the racism that started that, he didn't want to be a part of that. So he wanted to change. And that impacted me more than <laughs> any relationship I've ever had, probably. I was 18, I was real, because I was still impressionable, right? Yeah. And that somebody would suffer on an ideal. Right. Uh, at, at my, at, you know, for me, it was incredible. So that's my, that's, and we went on, you know, to be really good friends for a couple of years, you know, after that. We, 
wrestled wow. against each other in college, and that was really cool. Uh, JB, I mean. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a beautiful story. And I just, I think especially right now in these moments of tension when people don't, that you know, th th their biases are based off of not knowing yeah. and not communicating yeah. and kind of othering people and the separation that we create by being on devices and having, you know, faux relationships mm -hmm. digitally be able to go face to face with someone and actually get to know them and then shift their perception yes. of your kind whatever that means right 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 is 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 yeah it's a really potent and yeah. really important yeah. and the opportunities to do so feel like they're less and less yes. as we you know internalize our, our lifestyle and our community right? absolutely true yeah and that's not, amazing not traveling as much as we used to right it still fascinates me at how few Americans have passports, mm. you know. Um, what do you think the value is of having a passport? Like, what is what is having international travel, what did that do for you in your life? Besides having listen, the opportunity I, to be I've, homeless in Paris. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been a, a, of the ilk where um, I've had prejudices or racism because I really couldn't afford to anyway, you know, <laughs> in a weird since huh. but we ended up moving to mexico we lived in mexico for in uh, oaxaca mexico for a couple of years we wanted to um i wanted our, our our daughter was six years old and she was in an immersion school in santa monica and she hated it and wow. i was like why do i have to learn spanish like it just doesn't like because to her spanish was only at school but on recess and at lunch and at home and with her friends, everybody spoke English. And so it was just like we were putting this undue burden on her. And I mm -hmm. thought, you know what? There's an entire culture that's, that supports this. So my wife and I decided to just move, you know. So we moved to Oaxaca and immediately we fell into a few families. And that those few families kept spreading and spreading and spreading and uh, our initial intention was just to stay a year, but we gotten so close to these people that we couldn't pull ourselves away. So we stayed a second year. Wow. Um, so coming out of that and coming back to the States, I, the way that we view Mexicans or Mexican Americans generally is not quite as harsh as our president describes them, but we think of them as of that sect of people as people that take care of our kids and people mm -hmm. that take care of our lawns and people that, you know, are crossing the border illegally and doing things of that nature. But I have to tell you, I have mad respect for yeah. Mexican people, uh, yeah. Latino people. I, I just, I, I, their family values, their cultural values mm -hmm. are so much deeper and richer than ours. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and when you talk to people, like when I, I have arguments with my friend, um, political arguments, with di dialogue with my, with my friends all the time and, and uh, who have bought into what our president is saying about them. And I'm just like, you guys just don't understand, man. If you, but they, and these guys don't travel. Mm -hmm. Like a French, hate to say his name, but call him radical just to protect his, uh, in case he ever listens. But um, he has all these opinions about all these people who are coming into America. Right. Uh, he just doesn't like anybody. And it's like, dude, if you traveled, 
you would see that these people would be as human. Like uh, you just have to, if you just opened up your heart, start mm -hmm. with that. And right. then to have some understanding about why you're opening up your heart, go live in their culture for a little bit. Just, yeah. just get out and see things. It just, you, you can't help but broaden your perspective on things when you travel. It's a long-term investment in a way, you mm -hmm. know, cause you are not going to go to, uh, Mexico or South America and for a week and then come back and be like, oh, okay, let me see right. how much this changes me. But if you actually give up yourself and, and travel, and you have to travel off the beaten path. You can't go travel and just see all the tourist sites right. and then stay in the Four Seasons wherever you're going to stay or and then come back, you know, and stay with the Americans. But but uh, there, I think that travel is one of the greatest gifts that we can give to each, ourselves. And mm. it just it's frustrating um, running into so many people that live in our country, Americans that just don't travel. It's so, really interesting. It's interesting. And it, I also, that's one of the things I love about Los Angeles because this city, I feel there's an opportunity to travel within LA. Um, like, I don't know if you've seen the city of gold, Jonathan gold's doc documentary mm -hmm. about the food critic, but we have the largest population of Korean, of Salvadorian, mm -hmm. of Mexican outside of their native country, right? And so you have this incredible, and, and food becomes kind of the bond, right? right. But that's a, that can be a gateway, right? The dinner table can be a gateway and this accessibility to, oh my gosh, I love Salvadorian cuisine. I love pupusa. But this is our country. Mm. This is our country. So yeah, you can bring your food here and I'll eat your food, but I don't necessarily want to, hang out with you. Mm. I don't, this is, this is my country and I'm a, I'm a new nationalist, you know? So we just have all this, this, we're so possessive mm. and that's where it comes from. So unless you like when my, I have, we have a, um, a roommate that's our housemate that's from China. And when her parents come here, mm -hmm. they will not do anything, but eat in Chinese restaurants and shop in the Chinese, in Chinatown and everything's mm -hmm. about Chinatown, Chinatown. They will not experience the American culture. So I, I find that just as fascinating as, mm. as anything, but you can't expect to, you, you can't expect to, there's no curiosity. There's no inherent curiosity just by um, uh, going to visit restaurants that are, are ethnic Right. You know, there's, we hosted a, um, I can't remember what it's called. Oh my gosh. But there's the city put on a hundred dinners at a hundred different houses. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about diversity in Los Angeles and we got to host that. So there are 12 people that showed up and the, the host said, okay, I'm going to go around the table and just ask everybody what you love most about Los Angeles. And he asked me first and I was like, oh man. And I hadn't had a chance to really open my mind up and say something that was interesting. And I didn't want to say what I knew everybody else was going to say, right. which was the diversity, mm. but I said it cause I didn't. And so the next person said diversity. The next uh -huh. person said diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's funny how everybody said they loved the diversity, but the biggest problem they have with this city is diversity. The people. segregation. The segregation, right. yeah. It's so interesting. You can have a diverse place, but not an integrated yeah, place. Yeah, it's not in integrated at all. I mean, it feels, it is when you look, but it's right. but it's not. Right. And that's really frustrating to me. And I think that if we if we just forced ourselves out of our our uh, 
our beloved country <laughs> more often than we would not be so locked into that philosophy of this is my country, this is my home. Yeah. You need to get legal. You need to. Right. Just And eating out is not going to do it. Yeah. Okay. Good point. I appreciate, I appreciate that, that perspective. What, what, as an artist, you're a playwright and you're a director and writer. Where do you see yourself kind of confronting these issues in your work? Where do you find art to become a tool for inclusion or for, for love and, and, and kind of expanding certain perspectives? Well, you know, somebody told me, a teacher told us a long time ago that artists, their, his position was that an artist's job or position was to change perspective of people or show people a better way. Mm. And I, I always like that. Um, I have a play, uh, yeah. Black when, I'm, when I Was a Boy, that's touring right now. Amazing. Um, and in that, I tell that story of JB, I talk about, it's, it's about my, um, how I learned what racism is for me and in, through my friends and through my community and through the world, through the eyes of a child. So from the time I was five years old until I was 18 mm-hmm. and how I dealt with that. Um, cause everybody discovered it pretty much at the same time, right? We're all five years old and Everything, up and up until this new girl shows up in school, man, it was colorless. Right. It was just wonderful. And this new girl shows up in school and she's black. And she was just a kid to me, right? Because mm-hmm. I'd never seen another black kid my age. Right. Ever. Not on television, movies, a book, a magazine. Nowhere. Right. So I had so she's just a kid. But the white kids who knew that the black kid was in town, obviously they're having dinner conversations about it. So within days they brought that and it manifested in school. So they started calling her uh, blackie and Uh I'm their friend. So I'm I'm invisible to them, right? Hmm. Uh, Because I've grown up with them. So that was really harsh. So... I'm telling her story and I what I've and other stories along the way. And what I've learned is that like through this, the performances that I performances that I have done so far in the audience reaction, people like just say, I felt like my experiences were my own, mm-hmm. you know, cause I suffered like black people say I suffered that kind of racism also, but I felt like, uh, that I had to and that by myself and I didn't want to think about it and I put it behind me. Now I live in Los Angeles and things are much more subtle in the way that racism works here. Um, But your play made me relive that. It was really hard for me to deal with, but I realize now that I, I, I can be empowered and I can share my own story. And I, and, and now that I have like told people what I've suffered through and what I've gone through and how I've endured that I feel, I feel more complete because I'm not hiding myself anymore. Mm. And that's really amazing. And then white people are saying things like, you know, I just had no idea that you had gone through any of that because you look like you're so, you're just so nice, you mm. know? And I, it, to, to think about, 
everywhere, every choice that you made to go someplace, you had to wonder if there was going to be a volatile sort of uh, environment where you went. And I just, it just makes me look at my privilege in a way that I didn't examine it before. And if I can make people just think like that a little bit through this particular play or this particular art form, then that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, was yeah. It, is it James Baldwin who said to be conscious and black in America is to be in a rage all the time? I mean, something along Pretty much, lines. yeah. He's always saying stuff like that. But that's... When he was in his time... Um, wasn't racism the, wasn't as artful or as or as uh, uh, as clever as it is now, mm-hmm. right? So when I go to, um, <laughs> I was just in a store the other day, and I, it's just so true. You just you probably never. Every time you look up, you see. You know, the person that works there stocking the shelf, you mm-hmm. know, and you mm-hmm. go, like, you go to another section. Because yeah. that's just a coincidence, right? And you go to another section of the store, and, and that person's over there stocking that shelf. And no matter where you go in the store, so that person's following because they don't trust you. And they don't trust you just because you're different, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's it. Because if you have one black person come into, and this is, I, I, find fascinating we have conversations like this these little microaggressions right um (laughs) one black person goes into a store and maybe they do take something without paying for it Mm -hmm. and that not the way that white mentality works is up i told you they're, they're all alike. So now every black person that comes in that store gets the same treatment. Right. right? We don't get the clean, clean slate. A white person comes into the store and they take something without paying for it. Hmm, that's just a one-off. Right. It's just that person. So uh, like the, there's no continuation with that fear with any other white person that comes in. It could be 10 people in a row that do it. Well, those are just 10 bad people, you know, that just have that kind of theft issue. And the rest of the white people that come in get the clean slate. Every time I go into a, um, uh, a public venue, like a Starbucks or, um, or co- any kind of coffee shop or a restaurant, and there happens to be a, a white woman uh, sitting at a, on a bench, and she's got her purse, say, on her left side. Mm-hmm. And there's no other place to sit. And I'm like, oh, man. So I'll put my stuff down. And I'm. this is my routine. So I'll put my stuff down, open my, my bag, take my computer out. I'll take out my wallet, take out my little loyalty card, put my wallet on the thing. I got my phone. I put the phone on the table. My bag's on the bench. And I go off and I uh, order something. Right. And I wander around a little bit and I'm looking at, you know, the mugs and whatever they else they have. I'm taking my time and I'll go back and I'll sit down. And as soon as I sit down, she'll move her purse to the other side. Right. <laughs> and she has no idea what that does to me. Right. Do you ever think it's worth asking and saying, hey, why'd you do that? Uh I have. And I thought about making, trying to make a documentary and then. Uh, around that, because uh, mm-hmm. it happens 
every time, I mean, unequivocally. Yeah. But then I thought, you know, how would you, maybe I will, now that you've actually put that out there and challenged me to it. But I initially I thought, who would admit that? Well, like, I don't want to be thought of as a racist on record. Right. Well, it's not an admission. It's really more of an inquisition, right? It's just kind of like a, hey, I noticed you moved your bag to the other side of the uh, bench. What, what, what caused you to do that? I did ask one woman that. Uh, we were, I was at a volleyball game. I had a, a shooting. Um, I have a really nice, my, my kit that I carry with me is probably $10,000 around my shoulders. And wow. so I'm shooting, 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 shooting. And, uh, and her bag is on the floor by her chair. Mm-hmm. And I see it. I, I just see it. it's, it's big. I, don't, I just right. noticed it. I'm shooting and I leave and I come back and I shoot and I leave and come back and all day. And when I sit down to take a moment, she moves her back. Right. And I get up and I go around the gym and I'm shooting and her bag goes back over. So I did ask her when I sat back down, she moved it again. And I said, I'm sorry, man. Do you mind if I just ask you a question? No. She turns and she faces me. Yeah. What's, what's going on? I said, I, I did notice that you <laughs> you moved your bag when I sat down. Maybe it's my energy. I'm not sure. But am I putting off something that says, you know, this guy's dangerous? Or and she goes, ah, oh, no, not at all. Why do you? And I said, well, because, I mean, I we've been here all day and I have been shooting and I've noticed that other people have sat in this chair and I, I sat down. I'm just sitting to take a break and my daughter's playing and and you moved your bag. Oh, no, no, no. I needed to get something out of it. That's all. And she had it. Now she had it on her lap. Right. And uh, she took, you know, her little lip gloss or whatever she took out. And she used it and she put it back in. And we had a nice conversation. Nice. You know, it lasted five or ten minutes, you know. Right. And then uh, she put it back over on her left side (laughs) and then i kid you not i get up to leave and she puts it back on her right Right. side where it was on the on the floor where there's more space yeah so i I don't know but you know listen i'm sure that she's a nice person and if i had more time if i see her again i will talk to her and inevitably we will have a beautiful conversation and we will talk about love and what we (laughs) what we adore in life and kids and and, uh, and it'll be really beautiful. It's funny, you know, when you asked me earlier, or maybe it's on your, the question that you sent me, one that struck me the most was, who taught you how to love? Yeah. Um, and I was trying to figure out where that one person was that had the most, who taught me, taught me how to love. Right. And I think it's... Um, uh, just my, it, it's multiple people, right? And it's it is racism. Um, I'm in the fortunate position to be somebody who can change perspectives, mm-hmm. um, and so. I do understand that it. I, I carry the weight of the blackness on my shoulders on some level. You know, mm-hmm. I have to be. I have to be a better person than um, my counterparts and my peers if I do want to get the job. And I have to be a better person if I if I put in an application to when we were trying to get apartments back in the day. You know, right. I had to when we uh, 
you have to write a letter, you have to be more personable, you have to dress. I mean, it's just all these things. And it can be seen as a burden. Mm -hmm. It can. Um, And people want to talk about, like, what's it like to be black, you know? And, and, And how do you stay positive? But... It just makes me feel good. And I have mm. had a lot of, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a, again, I guess it going back to earlier, it's that reciprocal thing. Yeah. You, know? you get affirmation. Yeah. And, yeah. and if you get enough of that, it works and you know, and, and once you get the first affirmation you get, mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, that's interesting. And may not, you get another one, but by the time you get like three or four, you know, it's a thing. Hmm then it just becomes a part of you, you know? And um, so if I can change people through art, that makes me feel good. If I can buy somebody a coffee um, uh, as a way to, to thank them for holding the door open for me, that's a good thing. If I, and if I make somebody's day who was on the street, Mm -hmm. um, that's a beautiful thing. And then all of a sudden I'm looking for, even though I'm not, I, I try to say that I'm not into the reciprocal thing, but if I can just, my entire life is an expression of making people feel like somebody valued them. Yep. That, that's a hard thing to deny for me. Mm. So it, that, that keeps me going. Yeah. Well, you want the feedback loop, yeah. right? And yeah. sure it can come in all sorts of ways. Right. Right. But right but it's beautiful that you've received that yeah. in, in a social context as well and, and through your art and also through your business and, yeah. and your, the communities you've built. So, you know, I, I see that in you and what I know of you. And so, you know, it's, it's affirming for me. Even. Right. Can I ask you a question? Please. So you are investing a lot of time and energy um, making this podcast, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that love is valuable? Like, honestly? Do I think that love is valuable? I think that love is um, the reason we're here. Huh. I don't, I, I think if you come down to it, the majority of our behavior is for acceptance. Yeah. Is for a feeling of being seen, being heard, being acknowledged whether it's the most extreme act of hate, the most destructive act of policy or whatever you wanted to say, you know, or a beautiful piece of artwork, all of those things come from the same place, which is I want to be loved mm-hmm. in my view. That's what it all comes down to. And having in, in the last year, I, I've had the great opportunity and challenge of confronting my mortality. Mm-hmm. Uh, had, had a disease and a, a challenging diagnosis. And in doing that, um, I became conscious of the fact that you can strip away everything else. The only thing that matters is love, mm-hmm. in my view. And that's been my experience. And the more that we distance ourselves from that, the less that life is worth living. So are you more attracted to the feeling or the action? both, but I would say it is a choice and an action every day. And so to me, it's really important that we are able to engage and actively choose. I see love as an act of activism today. Mm. I'm an activist for love. I'm an extremist. 
Mm-hmm. And what that means is I wake up every day and I choose to be in love, to use art and creativity and play and joy as a path to engage people into their heart, mm. whether that be with music or with this podcast or whatever that might be. So, yeah, you right. know, there's, there's a little mantra I like to get people to sing that goes, my presence is a present. I got a gift <laughs> to give. You know what I mean? I like and that. it's, it's real, you know, yeah. your presence is, is a, a present. present. And that's all it is. Yeah. It, like, and, and you don't have to push beyond that. Yeah. You don't have to force the solution. Yeah. You can just be there. It's true. And let your light shine. It's true. You know, but isn't smile. that the male thing that like we want to fix? Right. Fix. But the fix is yeah. already yeah, within yeah, us. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You don't even have you're to go right. even further. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, Cooper, this has been an incredible conversation. I'm so glad. And I, we could go on for hours. Yeah. I'm, I can't believe an hour's already passed. Oh, um, man, that sucks. Right? <laughs> I want to know, where can people find you? Where where do they find your work? Or what, what's a, a link or something that you'd like to share? Um, besides, of course, Hint Mint, which is pretty widely available right. around the world. Um, well, there's uh, blackwhenizeaboy.com. Yep. And uh, there's cooperbatesphotography.com. Nice. And I, I most do that out of love, by the way. So, Beautiful. But yeah, and you can, or if you want to reach me because you want me to do whatever for you. Um, Cooper at hintmint.com is my email. So Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Ethan. So, so what's your favorite love song to take us out? What's your jam? I've been thinking about that a lot too. Uh, <laughs> there's two if I can cheat. Uh-oh. Well, so, we might only play one, but what do you got? Okay. If you can only play- Okay, if you only play one, Stay Gold by Stevie Wonder. Ooh, it's the second Stevie track we've gotten. Really? Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, Stay Gold, nice. Stay Gold. And it's it's not the typical love story, but it's the idea of the David Frost poem that nothing gold can stay. And he's he's trying to talk us into keeping our gold. And I think that our love is gold. And if we can just... mm, Yep. That, that, that's really a beautiful metaphor for me. So stay gold. Stay gold, Stevie Wonder. Thank you, Cooper Bates. Black when I was a boy, cooperbates.com. And thank you for being a, a pillar of love in Los Angeles and the world. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. You thought that all would last forever, but like the weather, nothing can ever. And be in time Stay gold But can it be When we can see So vividly A memory And yes you say So must the day Fade away and leave a ray of sun So gold Life is but a twinkling of an eye Yet filled with sorrow and compassion Though not imagined all things that happen will age to old. Though